Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to ask everybody to keep your eyes and ears open as we get deeper into 2023. If you have questions, email us, podcast at lincolnproject.us. We want to hear what you're hearing. We want to see what you're seeing. We want to know what you're wondering about. Podcast at lincolnproject.us. Give us your questions, your thoughts, your concerns, and anything you think might be of interest to the fight for American democracy. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Will Summer, politics reporter for The Daily Beast and co-host of the podcast, Fever Dreams. Prior to his time at The Beast, he was a campaign editor at The Hill and worked as a political columnist for the Washington City Paper. His latest book is Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, and it's available wherever fine books are sold. Today, he's coming to us in studio from Washington, D.C. Will, welcome to the show. Reed, thanks for having me. All right. So right before we talked, I had Mike Rothschild, who wrote a book on QAnon. I had him on last year. We had Juliet Jeske on who produces something called Decoding Fox News. She watches Fox News all day and all night, does a podcast, does a blog. And what I'm fascinated by with y'all collectively, and I know that you're a Texan, so y'all probably rings in your ears, is how you cover these sorts of subject matters in a way that allows you to be very discerning about the nuances things change, because it's always interesting to see how you guys pick stuff up but also, how do you do it day in and day out without your brain melting? <laughs> I get that question a lot. And I'll be honest, I, I maybe don't understand myself. I mean, I grew up in Texas in a pretty conservative, what you might think of maybe as like a Jeb Bush Republican family. Sure. A George W. Bush. I mean, back then. Probably more relevant. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, consuming a lot of Bill O'Reilly, a lot of Rush Limbaugh. And so I guess I developed a high tolerance for it and really a taste for consuming it. You know, I mean, because Rush Limbaugh, awful guy, but such a talented broadcaster, I mean, among other things, and the entertainment aspect of it. And so when I went to college, I no longer was a Republican. But, you know, I, I just kept following these guys for fun. And then when when Trump ran for office, suddenly all these characters I was following, you know, were, were really relevant. And people would say, you know, have you heard of this Ben Shapiro guy? And I would say, oh, man, you'll never believe it. So I started writing about them. And I really just have a uh, I really get a kick out of it, you know, in kind of a dark way. And there's always something new. I mean, you know, there's factions, there's feuds, there's all these kinds of, you know, as a reporter, it's really a dream beat to cover. This is what I, I like to say about this particular movement. And it is a movement and it has various tendrils and everything else is the only people they hate more than you and me are each other. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, they follow each other much more closely than I follow them. And so they will constantly be calling me and saying, you know, like they might publicly say, oh, I hate Will Summer. But then the next day that guy will call me up and say, well, you know, my rival, you got to look up his criminal background or something like that. That's bananas because <laughs> like they're crazy or at least they play crazy on TV. 
I talk to a lot of people who, you know, if, if you look at their ideas on paper, they're definitely crazy, but they can act, you know, totally lucid when dealing with me. And then, you know, like I said, I mean, I'll be at an event and they'll say this scumbag Will Summers here. And, you know, because it's all off the record, I can't then say, well, actually, you know, here are our text messages. You know, you didn't think I was such a scumbag a few weeks ago. You know, that's a good question to think about is when you have someone you know, and being a, you are a member of the media and is being at least adjacent to the political media ecosystem in the United States is when you see someone who was someone you knew pre and I'm going to say television specifically, but maybe it's video generally. And they have two different personas. They have the normal persona, right? The person you've known for years. And then they had their on air persona, right? It's a little bit louder. It's a little bit punchier. but the more they spend time on the air, right, especially in front of a camera, Will, those things start to merge and to meld until only the on-air persona exists. And everything is a green room story. Everything is a sound bite. Like they're only capable of talking in the idiom of a sound bite, of being on, on the air. Is that what happens to these guys too, is that they start out and I'm talking about the media personalities. I want to get to QAnon, but the, I want to talk about the media personalities you're dealing with is that they start out with like, this is a gimmick. This is a gag. This is a job. And before you know it, there's no line anymore. They have sort of fully transmogrified into this different thing. I think there's different degrees of, you know, there are some of these guys who get out there and they're these right wing pundits. And then behind the scenes, it's, you know, they kind of get that it's a game or they have a sense of humor about it, at least. And then you have someone like, like I think of Jacob Wool, for example, this kind of like longtime Republican grifter, essentially. This guy is so deep in it. What he's saying is obviously made up, but he is just when you talk to him, he believes it. Uh, or someone, you know, these people who are on like One America News and stuff like that. I mean, they take it very seriously. And, and I think you're right that it has melded in that way. I mean, we've seen recently, based on what the Dominion suit against Fox News has released about, let's say, Tucker Carlson, he loathes Donald Trump, hates the guy, but also was willing to go along with the insanity of 2020 simply for ratings. So like in your mind, it just, you know, and I know you're not necessarily a Fox guy, but like, where does a Tucker Carlson fit in this? Because he's not stupid. I remember him, you know, when he was the goofy bow tie guy, right? And he was, a, I guess, I mean, I was never a conservative, but a Republican like I was, right? He was for George W. Bush and he was for whatever Republican talking points there were. Has he fully gone over or do you think it's more cynicism on a part like that guy has? Now that we've seen those text messages, I think we can say it's cynicism, you know, pretty positively. I mean, you, you talk about his former career. I mean, yeah, he was a, a guy who was coming from the right. But he also would write these profiles that were pretty negative about Republicans. I mean, he memorably wrote one about George W. Bush, where Bush was mocking this woman he was going to execute. I mean, stuff that, you know, if you were a party apparatchik, you wouldn't put out there. But now you see in these text messages, he's very clear eyed about, you know, him and his producers, you know, that their audience, they're describing them essentially as a bunch of yockles that, you know, Donald Trump is this demonic force, you know, in his words, and oh, how vile this guy is. You know, he's also saying, God, look at our stock price, you know, we're, we're going to tank the company. And, you know, his anger at any of the reporters who actually at Fox who tell the truth about the election, he seems to have a real mercenary attitude. Right. Well, I mean, there was that one, I can't remember, as Jackie Heinrich, I think her name was, who covers the White House for Fox. 
and said, you know, tweeted like this is clearly all BS or something to that effect. Very mildly. Yeah. Sort of like fact check the election wasn't stolen and he flips his lid. Yeah. And he's like, fire her today. Now, I think she still has her job, but my guess is she probably doesn't get invited on Tucker very often. But it's interesting to see, you know, that there is some still is dotted a line as it might be between the day side and the night side and the hard news and the opinion side of Fox. I guess it still exists somewhat. But let's talk about this transformation. So in your book, it's called Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. You know, we could talk a little bit about the foundations of QAnon, you know, on these message boards, these four chans, these eight chans, these eight coons that sort of got it started. Also, the massive explosion that things like Facebook in particular, Twitter, all these other things gave it. But I want to talk about the personal aspect of this a little bit. So take us into the mind of an otherwise normal human being who is in the context of, let's say, three years ago now, we're all shut in our houses. Community, as we know, as far as the United States is concerned, has been on the decline, right? As far as your neighbors, all that other stuff, right? You don't have that sort of tight-knit community feel that maybe we had 50, 60 years ago. Maybe we never had it then either. I don't know. But take us through the process of, again, an otherwise normal person logging on and finding their way into QAnon. And before you know it, friends don't know them, family doesn't know them, and there's really no good way to proactively pull them out of it. Yeah, and I'm so glad you took it to the pandemic because that was such a big moment for QAnon recruitment. As you said, I mean, people were losing their jobs. They had a lot more time to spend online. And really, there was something that was really crazy out in the world, you know, the pandemic, which was something we had never dealt with before. And so, you know, if you put yourself in that person's shoes, imagine someone who their world has been turned upside down. Maybe, you know, their kids can't go to school, all this stuff. And, you know, in particular, another thing that happened around that time was Jeffrey Epstein died. And so he was in the news. And that was another recruitment moment. So let's say this person is Googling causes of the pandemic, for example, and then you easily on YouTube, let's say you could find yourself saying, you know, how George Soros or Bill Gates caused the pandemic. And there's not really QAnon branding, but let's say, oh, you say, okay, I'll watch this video. And then suddenly the YouTube algorithm starts pushing all of this related stuff. And a lot of it is QAnon related. So someone says, you know, it's not that there was this Chinese wet market or what have you. It's that there was maybe Fauci cooked it up with Bill Gates. And that there's this cabal behind everything. So this person starts exploring and maybe, as you said, maybe they're more isolated than they normally would be would, from people in the real world. And suddenly they start hearing not just about the coronavirus, but about how world elites are abusing children and, you know, look at Jeffrey Epstein and stuff like that. And then you start getting deeper in, into it. And then someone says, well, you know, there's a guy who actually told us the truth about this and his name is Q. And from there, you know, it's really a headfirst plunge right into QAnon. So there's a couple of things that I think seem foundational to the recruitment piece, right? One is some level of disconnectedness from family, social ties in the real world, in the analog world. The second seems to be this desire to be part of something bigger than yourself. And that becomes the mission of saving these children from Tom Hanks and Bill Gates, and Oprah Winfrey, and Hillary Clinton, they all tend to be Democrats or Hollywood types, Jeffrey Epstein. And then it's the horror of children being kidnapped and their blood being distilled into adrenochrome, right? Which, correct me if I'm wrong, it's when adrenaline oxidizes. 
is this even a thing like adrenochrome? Like if you had to go to the ER, would you get adrenochrome? Like, is that something that you would actually be given for something? I don't think it has any medical uses. And in the real world, it's incredibly easy to produce because as you said, you just get the adrenaline and oxidize it. But in the QAnon mythos, they think it's, you know, the fountain of youth and you can only get it from sexually torturing a child during a satanic ceremony and you extract it from their pineal gland. And so they believe that this is how the world elites stay young. So if I'm going to put myself in the place of the people listening to this right now, this is banana phones crazy. Like it doesn't make any damned sense, right? And so now it's like, okay, now I'm saving the children. I'm saving them from this. I have this guy Q who nobody knows, who nobody sees. And you even note in your book that another part of the unique nature of Q is that it does not have a charismatic, demagogic leader, right, that has embodied this, right? In fact, the embodiment is just a letter. So how does something like that spread? I mean, is it sort of a collective mania on the part of these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people? Yeah, I mean, I think collective mania is probably a good word for it. I mean, Q started in these anonymous internet posts, but what happened was all of these sort of promoters who who did have names to it, these QAnon leaders effectively, they package it in much more effective ways into Facebook posts, into YouTube videos, and it spreads from there. And so the community aspect is huge. I mean, they call themselves digital soldiers, this idea that they're all part of this army, that they have a broader purpose. And, you know, it's very easy to get into this army. All you have to do is sit and post online. And so the barrier to entry is really low, but they feel that, you know, you're saving the children, you're fighting Satan, these kind of world historical stakes. Right. I remember it's almost three years ago now, the ad that sort of made the Lincoln Project sort of mushroom was an ad called Morning in America. And we ran it, Trump saw it, he went crazy and sort of the rest is history for us. But we put it on Facebook and it got flagged because it said, there was a line that said, Trump cares more about Wall Street than Main Street. And it got flagged as misinformation. And I called a friend of mine who's still a pretty senior guy at Facebook. And I said, you know, for a fact, this is not misinformation. You got to take this flag off. And he's like, nothing I can do about it. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You got thousands of groups running around your platform. I mentioned QAnon, which I only sort of vaguely knew about. I said, the Proud Boys all this other stuff, these people who are inciting violence, you know, everything else, you got thousands, hundreds of thousands of these groups, and you're telling me I'm the one who's misinformation? He's like, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, number one, I mean, I, I think you're hitting at something that's right, which is that Facebook and these other platforms were terrified of Republicans, Republican lawmakers calling hearings and saying, you know, oh, you banned this account, you know, this is bias. But we know that, you know, in the case of QAnon from these Facebook leaks, that Facebook was really actively pushing people into QAnon, even if inadvertently, because they would prize people joining groups and engaging with content that had high engagement and would rile people up. And no one was more active than people who thought they were saving the children for QAnon. So they, for example, someone at Facebook created an account that would just fave, you know, Melania Trump and Donald Trump. And suddenly Facebook starts saying, well, if you like Donald Trump, you'll love QAnon. Why don't you check that out? Right. And so you find this like-minded group of people. You also say this, quote, blaming personal failures on the misdeeds of an unseen cabal has an obvious emotional appeal, relieving a person of taking responsible for their own problems. It's also a simple way to explain a complex world. 
Rather than accept that random, chaotic, deadly events can happen out of nowhere, the believer can simplify the world by blaming tragic events on a conspiracy. You look at all of these things that are conspiracy theories related to QAnon, for example. So we look at, let's say, this idea that all of these school shootings are false flags carried out by the cabal to take our guns away. I mean, Alex Jones said that stuff. Yeah, Alex Jones and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is obviously a big QAnon promoter herself. And so, you know, you look at the actual causes of this. Okay, mental health, the fact that we have tons of guns in this country, all these things. And you might say, oh, man, this is a complex issue. Uh, And particularly, I think for someone on the right, it's. You know, the solution is not something you want to really face in terms of the Second Amendment. And so instead, you can say, well, this isn't the natural outgrowth of the policies I support, but this is the sinister cabal. This is George Soros doing this to me. So you have this kind of, in a way, it's empowering because it gives you this sense of there are specific people to blame. On the other, it's disempowering because, you know, you look at it and you're saying, well, you know, all of these world events are completely out of my control. There's nothing I can do about it. It's the devil and Bill Gates who are just up to no good. I mean, there's the QAnon piece of this, but this is where I think this sort of, well, I don't know the right word to describe it, this mental desire to find others to blame and for conspirators to be the cause is not just a QAnon thing on the right. It really runs across all of the messaging of what I'm going to call MAGA, America First, Trump, whatever it is, including, as we were talking about just a little while ago, Fox, which is if you turn on Fox all day, every day, what is it? Wokeism, George Soros, those people, drag queens, whatever it is, is these are the people who are conspiring to take your world from you, to take your country from you. Again, a lot of it comes back to children, bad people or pedophiles even though it turns out that seems to be a lot of Republican leaders, legislators, pastors that tend to get picked up for child porn or marrying a 14-year-old girl, that it's now all of a piece. QAnon is a wedge of it, but it's all of a piece. In fact, it might be the damned ethos of the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, you look at, for example, the recent collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. And while a lot more has to be investigated about that, I mean, we know that that bank had lobbied to have its regulations lifted, all of these things that might make you say, huh, maybe there should have been more oversight of how this bank was managing its money. But if you turn on Fox News or you look at Don Jr.'s tweets, it's that it was a woke bank and that they had a diversity initiative. And so this must be, I mean, the Wall Street Journal just had an op-ed saying, you know, maybe they should have had more white guys running it. And so, I mean, it all goes back to these tropes of, you know, it's the trans agenda, it's the wokeism causing all of these problems. Where I live here in Utah, the treasurer of the state of Utah said ESG initiatives are works of Satan, right? This is a state official in one of the 50 United States. You could say a lot of things about the political motivation of them. Satanic rituals and pentagrams don't probably appear on the list. I mean, the rise of demonology on the right is just truly fascinating to see this idea that, um, you know, Ben Shapiro's crony of Michael Knowles was just out saying all these various things. These are works of Satan. I mean, that these are not policy issues or cultural issues that we can debate. This is the devil who's out to get us. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, you spend some time on the history of conspiracy theories, specifically, you know, blood libel. When it comes to the Jews, there's a boy killed in England in the 1100s. And they decide it's the Jews who did it to suck their blood like vampires and everything else that even then makes its way to Europe, even in the 1100s. Now you have a situation, though, Will, where these things have the accelerant of algorithms like Facebook, other social media, people with little to nothing else to do, 
And so things that might have been the purview of kooks can now just spread like wildfire. And I think one of the most concerning things to me is that you just don't know. I mean, the barrier for entry into you know promoting conspiracy theories is just about zero. I mean, you know, you talk about the Fox News thing. One thing that's come out of those emails is how the Maria Bartiromo segment with Sidney Powell that really kicked off a lot of the Dominion stuff was all based on one email Sidney Powell got from some essentially random anonymous woman who just said, you know, I get these messages from TV and music, and I heard Dominion stole the election. And by the way, Antonin Scalia was murdered in a human hunting expedition. And then Maria Bartiromo just forwards that to her producer, and then it ends up on the air a day later. I mean, the barrier for sort of random kind of lunatic ravings getting into the right-wing media is basically nothing. And it's not only that it's nothing, but the thing that concerns me, and again, this QAnon is a piece of this because I think you can see so much of its effect, and we were just talking about the Satanism and the Soros and all the other stuff, is that the people like Carlson and Bartiromo are now so willing to go along with it because they've got to feed their own beast. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, when you look at those emails and text messages, you see how terrified right-wing media is of its audience, an audience that it has created and constantly refusing to make them see the truth, that the election wasn't stolen or, or whatever. And suddenly, you know, this audience has this appetite for more and more lies and for a more comforting reality. And so, you know, I think of Tucker Carlson, someone who is sort of the king of the January 6th counter narrative saying, no, we don't have to look at this ugliness in the Trump movement that caused this. What is it that Donald Trump did to create January 6th? Instead, he can say, well, look at this video where the QAnon shaman isn't attacking people, you know, or these videos where people are being nice. And, you know, let's just not face the reality. And they have to keep all of these right wing media communications, propaganda outlets have to keep their people within the crucible. They have to keep them inside because if you let them outside, you know, you get a little bit of the, what I call the Rip Van Winkle effect, which is like, holy shit, like, what the heck have I been doing? What have I been listening to? Wow, this stuff really is crazy. But they also have to keep them attuned because if they're not going to go to Fox, they'll go to OAN or Right Side Broadcast or Parlor, any a number of the, I mean, they just grow up, they pop up like mushrooms after a rainstorm. But let's talk about that because there is a political aspect of this, which is the QAnon piece was always paired with it being the secret force working alongside Donald Trump to root out these evil child blood drinking elites. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the key parts of QAnon is this idea that Donald Trump was recruited to run for president by the military so that they could all finally take on this cabal. And I think something that is often understated about QAnon and something that played a big role in January 6th is the dream of what they call the storm. And that's the day that, you know, Donald Trump's going to say, my fellow Americans, you know, they think he'll say the storm is upon us and that, you know, all of these Oprah's a pedophile, Barack Obama drinks children's blood, all this stuff, and that we're going to send them to Guantanamo Bay and they'll probably be executed. And so it's sort of this fascist dream, but QAnon people love it. And Donald Trump being president really is a key to that. So on January 6th, they thought, well, maybe this is the storm. I mean, we know Ashley Babbitt, among other people, thought that this was going to be the moment. And, you know, when you think that, when you think that, you know, you're fighting satanic forces and you're saving the country and saving the children, you know, why wouldn't you break the law? Why wouldn't you storm Congress? So as we sort of bring ourselves up to speed here, where does QAnon stand now? Is it still recruiting 
Does it consider itself part of a Trump coalition? Like, where does QAnon stand in American life today? So a few years ago, Q told his followers to essentially stop identifying as QAnon believers and say, still talk about the cabal, still talk about the storm, but just stop saying QAnon because I think the brand was tarnished. I mean, I think the average person heard QAnon and rightly so was like, that's crazy stuff. But, you know, I think its messaging has really spread throughout the GOP. I mean, we look at all this talk about gay teachers being part of this larger conspiracy theory to molest children. And really, in terms of QAnon itself, I think we're going to see a resurgence in 2024. I mean, on Truth Social, his social network, Trump is posting constantly about QAnon in a way that he never has before. He's posting memes of himself wearing cues and stuff like this. And we know that the people behind Truth Social have said they conceived the website as, among other things, a safe space for QAnon. So I think that's really being incorporated into the Trump messaging. And, you know, he's laying the groundwork, for example, to call Ron DeSantis a pedophile. He's saying, you know, here's pictures of Ron with teenage girls. Hmm, It makes you wonder. So I think we could see uh, QAnon even bearing its name come back next year. Do you think that Trump will eventually take that back to Twitter? I mean, yeah, it's hard to imagine that if presuming that he's going to keep running for president, that he'll, you know, stay off of Twitter. I mean, we know he has this business arrangement with True Social that he has to post on True Social first. But, you know, he's also not a guy who's a stranger to breaking his business. What? (laughs) What? This is bananas. So let me bring several of these threads together because you write, quote, QAnon is unmatched among modern conspiracy theories in its ability to inspire violence. So you write about several of the QAnon adherents. One guy in Seattle kills his brother with a samurai sword because he's convinced he's a lizard person. You tell a story about a family law attorney in Florida who is absolutely just harassed and threatened to the point where FBI agents and U.S. Marshals have to come to her office and say, they're here to kill you. We must move you out. And then you mentioned on January 6th, How many people, like in Ashley Babbitt, who was killed by Capitol Police as she tried to enter the speaker's lobby, were QAnon adherents? So do you worry that with the sort of Trump reemergence over the course of the next year, let's say, as as he gets through a primary, that QAnon, maybe under another name, maybe not, will start to inspire violence again? Absolutely. I mean, since I wrote the book, two different QAnon believers have been accused of murdering their family members because of their belief in QAnon, including a guy who murdered his two young kids. So the key thing for QAnon believers and getting new recruits is when Donald Trump or someone close to him seems to endorse it because, you know, they realize that their ideas are out there. But then they say, well, look, I mean, Donald Trump, he's the president or he's the ex-president and he's saying this stuff is real. Or he's president and it was in Joe Biden is an animatronic weekend at Bernie's type. And this is all being done in a sound studio, the same place they probably did the Apollo 11 landing. Yes, yes. I mean, they say the White House that we see on TV is actually in Tyler Perry's studios in Georgia. And so, yeah, I mean, when I talk to people whose family members have gotten into QAnon, they say, well, look, Donald Trump or Michael Flynn, you know, hinted that it's real. And that just gives them so much fuel. So I think such a key aspect of QAnon is that violence, because unlike other conspiracy theories, let's say like 9-11 Truth or the JFK assassination, you can research it and you can lose your mind over it. But there isn't really this active component of saying, now go get these people. Whereas with QAnon, you know, there is this participatory element and there, there is this idea of, you know, we're all working for Q. I mean, this one guy who murdered the head of a mafia family, I mean, he thought he was taking this guy to Q's tribunal. That was a fascinating story in your book. 
So just to relate, I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but there's this mafia boss, like a big mafia boss. Like one of the head of the five families. Yeah. One of the head of the five families, like something you'd see in The Godfather. And this QAnon guy goes up and shoots him seven times. And all the other people in the mafia are like, who the hell shot him? Like who put out the hit on him? And it turns out it was some nut who'd gotten into QAnon and was convinced this guy had done something. Yeah, I mean, you have this, the FBI wiretaps pick up all these mafia guys being like, oh my God, are we going to have a mafia war? And the FBI is bracing for it. And then they realize, I mean, in such a, for me, it really felt like sort of a changing of the guard of the face of sort of American underground and crime. This idea that these mafia guys, this guy who's, you know, essentially like, as you said, the godfather, that some random kook who lives in his neighborhood just says, all right, well, this guy probably works for the cabal. I'll go murder him. So let me break it down a little bit more. Do Q members, do Q adherents, do they vote? And do you think that before a Trump, these were people who were politically active? I guess it's, it's a little bit of an unfair question, Will, because I'm asking you to generalize on something. But was there an archetype of these folks before Trump and QAnon that you could point back to? Were they, were they the types of, you know, like we see the, the Michigan militia guys, right? These were people who don't like government of any kind. They like chaos and Trump in their mind said all the right things and was an agent of chaos. So they were all for him. Maybe not politically active prior to that, but now they are right. He sort of pulled these zombies out of the woods. Do you think that there's some of those in the QAnon sort of orbit who were always kooky, who didn't see themselves as part of the process, but a guy like Trump brought them into it? I think a lot of QAnon believers are like that. I mean, as you say, I think a lot of them were already politically active and supporting of Trump. But I think there's a lot of people and, you know, just from talking to QAnon believers and hearing their stories, it's a lot of people who weren't political and were often sort of on the margins of society and doing their own thing. And then they get into QAnon and they see Trump as, you know, they call him the God Emperor. So, I mean, they believe so strongly in him. They see him as this messianic figure. And then they get involved with voting in their local Republican Party. I mean, a lot of them have taken positions in their local or state Republican parties. I talked to this guy who believed himself to be Q, and he kind of went on this whole journey. And then the last I saw him, he was managing a congressional campaign for a guy. So now we're, we're again, these threads are all coming together. Trump is running for president again. He's running for the Republican nomination again. If he were to lose the nomination, which I don't think he will, but if he did, would the QAnon people go along with whoever the Republican nominee is? It's hard to know. I mean, one has to wonder, you know, would there be a storyline that Ron DeSantis, for example, had stolen the primaries from Trump? Donald Trump, as you note, is so core to the QAnon mythology. But I think we could see QAnon even if it changes names. I mean, Pizzagate, for example, about Comet Ping Pong and all this is sort of a QAnon precursor. Then when there was a shooting at the restaurant, it went away for a while and a lot of people faced lawsuits and then it reemerged as QAnon. And so I think this conspiratorial strand is going to be with us for a long time, even if it's not called QAnon anymore. Mm. So, Will, last question. What else do we need to be looking for? What do our listeners need to be on the lookout for as far as QAnon is concerned, as far as this sort of conspiratorial stuff? What are we missing that we haven't already brought up today? I think people should just really, you know, take a step back sometimes and look at the way that conspiracy theories in general have taken over the Republican Party. 
you know, how widespread election denial is. I mean, you look at someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who says that now she says, oh, maybe I, I was a little into QAnon. I mean, she was deep in it. I mean, she knows more about it than I do. I look at her posts and she's debating the veracity of different QAnon messages. I mean, she was very deeply involved. And now she's maybe the third or fourth most prominent member of the House Republican Caucus. And she raises a huge amount of money. And I mean, the fact that someone like that is able to be so prominent in Kevin McCarthy's GOP and that, you know, they extract concessions from him, like he has to release this January 6th footage that only creates more conspiracy theories. I mean, just keep an eye on how the GOP really bows to their conspiratorial wing, especially as we head into the next election. Yeah, well, and I think that's right. And I think this is where you see all of it sort of come together on the party that I used to belong to, the party you said you grew up in. It is a political party, but it is really the political wing of a broader sort of radical, revanchist, conspiracy theory-minded group of people who, frankly, are able to control so much of this stuff, Will, because so many of them are dyed-in-the-wool activists or primary voters. If they were a fringe element who didn't really participate, it'd be one thing, but they will control Republican primaries as we see, not so much 2020, but certainly 2022. And I think they will again in 2024. Yeah. I mean, the people we're talking about, I mean, there are QAnon believers and members of this. There's a QAnon electoral coalition. I mean, state representatives, state senators, party officials. I mean, these are not people who don't know how to work the apparatus. And so certainly they're going to continue to select these QAnon and these conspiratorial election denier candidates. Ugh. Well, listen, you've scared the hell out of me. You probably scared the hell out of everybody listening. So Will's book, guys, is Trust the Plan. The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. It's out now at your fine booksellers. Will, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find your other work? Sure. So my Twitter handle is Will Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. My podcast is Fever Dreams. It covers a lot of the topics we talked about here today. Available wherever you get podcasts. And I write for The Daily Beast at thedailybeast.com. All right, perfect. And as always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen and on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Will Summer, thanks for joining me today. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project... I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between, you'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at virginia.org.